Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And how many of you are enjoying the Christmas season so far? Anyone? You guys into it? Anyone do anything fun? See the Christmas lights? Things like that? It's been a good Christmas season so far. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the word behold in the Christmas story. Can you say that word with me, behold? Nice, nice. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, that being them being the shepherds, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And if you were with us last week, we began our Christmas series by looking at the words, words fear not. We were looking at the topic of fear and how, the role the fear played in the Christmas story, that everyone in the Christmas story was afraid, had some sort of fear. And we contrasted the fear that was created by a fearlessness of God. It was sort of a, a godless fear, as was so evident in Herod's life. And we contrasted that with a fear that was not rooted in, in godlessness, but a godly sort of fear. A fear that put their trust in the Lord, as was seen in the lives of Mary, or Joseph, and even the shepherds. And so today what we want to do is we want to continue on in this verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, when the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, and we want to look at the next word in this verse, that word, behold. Now, behold is one of those words in the Bible that is super, super familiar to us. But outside of the Bible, unless you're like super into Shakespeare, the word behold is not going to be, you know, used a lot in your, your everyday conversations. I mean, I dare you to try it. This week, just slip that word behold into your conversation and see what... See how people look at you. Yet it is a word that is found literally all throughout the Bible. Now, as our translations have sort of been modernized, as our language, has, the English language has developed over the years, the word behold has become less and less, um, uh, like, just used. It has been more translated into words like look and see. But in the King James Version, it is a word that's used 1,300 times. It's used a lot. And it is a word that is super familiar to us, yet strange and foreign to pretty much everyone else. I consider the word behold to be in the long list of words that is in the Christianese language. Does anyone know what that word, that, that language means, Christianese? Anyone hear that term before? It's the, the words or the phrases or the slogans that are used in the Christian subculture that when you say it in any other context, it makes no sense whatsoever to the person that you are saying it to. For example, anyone, anyone speak fluent Christianese? Anyone know it? If you grew up in the church, you probably are, are fluent in this language. For example, traveling mercies. I dare you to say to one of your secular friends or coworkers, I wish you traveling mercies this Christmas season. Backsliding. If you use the word backsliding with someone who's not a Christian, their, their imagination is going to be a little bit different than what you're envisioning in that word backsliding. How about the word fellowship? Like, let's just get together and have some sick fellowship, man. Like, some sick fellowship. I'm just not seeing much fruit. <laughs> I'm feeling led, or, or God laid it on my heart. How about this one? Can I share my burden with you? 
You can share your what? Or my favorite, a hedge of protection. Why a hedge? Like, why not a cement wall or something more fortified, something more stronger than a hedge? I think it's safe to say that the word behold would make that list of Christianese words. I mean, when was the last time you used that word behold? Yet, when we read the Christmas story, it is a word that is littered pretty much throughout the entire Christmas story. For example, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. This was the, the story we read last week. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 1, 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You know, these are just a few examples, and there are so many more in the Christmas story, but what does this word mean, behold? Like I mentioned, like, in its most simplest definition, it is a word that means to look or to see. You know, most modern translations are, are taking the word behold and inserting the word see or look, but its meaning, it just doesn't do it justice to describe the word behold as a, as a word that means to look or to see. A better meaning of the word behold is to gaze upon or to perceive, to look in order to perceive or finally to pay attention to what is about to be said. You know, when I was in college, I had a professor who, you know, when you're 19 years old and your professor is lecturing, you're not paying a lot of attention, are you? You know, your head's buried doing whatever you are and the professor's lecturing away, lecturing away, and all of a sudden, out of a blue, every once in a while, the professor would say, and it's important for you to know this because it's going to be on the exam. And your head would be like, what? And you would suddenly begin to behold what the professor was saying because what he was about to say or what he had just said and you missed it completely was something really, really important for you to know. He was calling us to behold what he was saying and we in return were preparing to perceive what was about to be spoken. And this is exactly what God is attempting to do throughout the Christmas story. He says, I know you are afraid. I know you are concerned. I know you have questions. But hear what I'm about to say because it is important. You're not going to want to miss it because what I'm about to share with you is really good news. And if you behold it, if you gaze upon it, grasp it, relish it, internalize it, it's going to bring you great joy. Here it is. Behold, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And this is God's gift to us at Christmas. His Son. And because He has given us His Son, it is now possible for you and I to behold the Father. Let me say that again. Because God has given to you and I His Son, it is now possible for you and I to behold the Father. Because of Jesus, we can behold God we can see him for the very first time. We can behold his beauty. We can gaze upon his love. John chapter 1 verse 14, which some have said to be a Christmas story in its own right, is a more poetic or figurative Christmas story. But John says, and the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen, or we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice what Jesus says. No one has seen the Father. No one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Think about that for just a moment. No one has ever seen God. These are Jesus' words, not mine. No one has ever seen God. Not Moses, though he ascended to the mountain and he fellowshiped with God on the mountain for 40 days. Though he had been in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God, he had not seen God. Not Isaiah, who said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. Not even Isaiah, who said, I saw the Lord. Jesus says, no one has seen God. Not even them. But I have come to make the Father known. I have come to make the Father known. I have come that you might behold the Father's love. That we might, as 1 John 3, 1 says, see or behold the, what kind of love the Father has given us. That we might be called children of God, and so we are. So what I want us to do is to grasp today, to grasp this Christmas season, how great of a gift this really is. How wonderful how awesome it is that we who had turned away from God, that we can now behold his glory. And this is what the Christmas story is all about. It is not about God giving us information. It's not about a list of details. No, God is writing himself into the very drama of history. You know, in 1961, after the Russians sent the first people into space, you know, one astronaut upon returning to Earth arrogantly reported that he had gone to space and he was happy to report that he did not find God there, that there was no God and he did not find God. And in response, the great author, C.S. Lewis, wrote an article titled The Seeing Eye in which he said this, and what he said will be up there on the screen. And if there is a God who created us, we could not discover him by going up into the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to the man on the first floor. He would relate to us the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if the author reveals information about himself in the play. So, too, the only way to know about God is if God has revealed himself. And that is exactly what God is inviting us to do in Christ Jesus. To behold his glory. To know his love. To, to see and, and gaze upon his great works. God wants to, you to know him today. To enjoy him and to be with him. To behold him above everything and everyone else. But would anyone here today agree, as strange as it sounds, that beholding God is a, sometimes a struggle? That we struggle to behold God? You know, sadly, I think the Christmas season 
and all that it represents, all of its busyness and distractions, serves all too well as a metaphor for our Christian faith. That is, too often we struggle to behold God above all else because we are either too busy or too distracted or too disinterested. No, beholding God has always been a universal struggle for humankind. But add in a culture, the culture that we live in today, that offers us unlimited distractions, endless opportunities for that next dopamine hit. I think we are a culture addicted to dopamine and a general fearlessness of God. We might struggle to behold him at all, let alone behold him above all else. You know, one of the things I've been trying to do more of lately is to, when I'm with my family, take in and, sounds strange, enjoy the moment more. You know, for the last 10 years of my life, like we had our three boys really, really quick. And for the last 10 years of our life, it's uh, sad to say, but they've gone by like a blur. And we, we sort of, because life was so hectic, life was so hard trying to rope in these three boys, especially when they were really, really young, we forgot got to behold certain moments because we're just trying to get through, you know, that day or just to survive that season. And so I don't want to get to that place where I run out of moments, you know, that they've grown up and finally I can now behold my my family. And so recently, like we were decorating our Christmas tree, like most families do at Christmas season. And, and you know, like a good husband and father would, I was sitting there on the couch doing nothing while everybody else was doing all the work. But I was just like watching my kids, realizing and seeing they're getting older. And they're so excited, right? They're running back and forth, putting the ornaments on the tree. There's joy that fills our hearts. They're loving what's happening. And I became emotional knowing that, you know, these moments are so few. Even though in the moment, right, it feels long. If you have a young family, you know what it's like. You only have so many of them. And, and so I was reminded in that moment just to behold this moment. Like I just, I beheld it. I wasn't waiting for them to finish. I wasn't watching passively. Instead, I was watching adoringly, like actively watching and sort of banking this moment in my memory. And I think for so many, this is what God desires for us. That God created us as his children, not with an agenda, not with a purpose that, that like, I'm creating you for because you got to do this. No, I created you because I love you. I created you because I wanted to. I created you to experience and to enjoy all that I've, all that I've made, all who I am. I want you to have this and to share it and to know it. That God wants, that God beholds us. And I think he wants us in return to behold him with no other purpose than to enjoy him, to be with him, and to know him, to be still and know that I am God. Yet I think all too often in our culture, we behold God as a means to an end. You know, we, and I think sometimes our intentions are good. They're noble. We need something or we have a, we just, we believe and have faith in what God can do. But we behold him because we think by beholding him that maybe it will result in what we need it to result in. When was the last time you beheld God with no other purpose than just to enjoy him and, and to be in his presence? When was the last time you came to God with no agenda other than just to be still and know that he is God? I believe God is longing and he wholeheartedly wants this sort of relationship with his children. 
Like he says to, in Jeremiah, I will be found by you when you search after me with all of your hearts. And I think this is what we do is we equate what he, all of your heart with meaning all of my effort, right? I got to strive and I got to do and I got to have this effort and it's got to be like maximum capacity, 10 out of 10. I don't think that's what it means. I think it just means all of your heart, like single place in your heart, like no other gods before me heart. So let us ask, you to, let me ask you today, honestly, is beholding God in this manner a struggle for you? Have you struggled to find ways to behold God with no other purpose, no agenda, than just to know him and be with him? I think if you have today, I don't think it's wrong to admit this. I don't think it's wrong to come before the Lord and say, Lord, this is true. Because God's not disappointed. I mean, God's not surprised by that acknowledgement. He already knew before you ever do. If so, it's never too late to return to him. Like he says in Zechariah, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. The first step to beholding God is to simply repent of all the ways and all the times that we have beheld something else above God. This is Christianity 101, right? Repentance. Repentance is a simple returning back to our first love. And I would invite you right now to take that first step by just taking a look at what's all in your heart right now. What are you paying attention to? What are you gazing upon? What are you looking at in order to perceive? I like what the poet Mary Oliver said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention. What has your attention this Christmas? What has your attention right now? For it is the beginning of devotion, or as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of you know treasure is so much more than what we hold in our hands? It's what we behold in our hearts. Where your treasure is, what you behold in your hearts, there your devotion will be also. For what we behold will take hold of our hearts. What we behold will take hold of our hearts. And the more we behold our idols, whatever they may be, the more we behold, the more we gaze upon, the more we pay attention to anything and everything that is not God, the more we allow those idols to take hold of our hearts. What beholds your heart today? The second step then is to make a choice. To make a choice that I will behold God above all else today. I will not, I will dethrone my idols. I will not allow anything or, any, or anyone else to be beheld above God. And I think today that beholding God, though it is a struggle, because it goes against our sinful nature, in our redeemed nature, and for the ones who are born again, who are born in Christ, God gives us a choice to choose whether or not we will behold him above all else. And I know this sounds overly simplistic, but it's true. Beholding God is a choice. It is a choice. And because it really comes down to this, Christ has already won the victory over your sin, over death. He has already won the victory. And so the idols that we behold, the things that we gaze upon and we allow to take hold of our hearts, the only power those things have over us is the power that we grant to them. There's nothing inherently powerful in an idol other than that which we say, you can have control of my heart. You can have the power over this situation. And the same goes for Christ. You know, he can lead you and I to the promised land. But we have to choose whether or not we will be or whether we will step into it. 
You know, in Joshua chapter, chapter 24, this is the conversation God is having with the Israelites. He says, I called you to be my people. I brought you out of slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. I rescued you when your enemies pursued you. I protected you in the wilderness. I fought for you when others came against you. I gave you an inheritance and a land that you did not earn or deserve. But now you're left with a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. like, And literally the conversation is, if you want evil... If you want to choose that or them, you can. It's your choice. But if you want me, if it's me that you want, it's also your choice. And what did Joshua say to the Israelites? As for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. God was born in a manger. Not to be a cute story that we get to tell our children once a year. No, God was born in a manger in order that he may come and conquer our sin. God was born in a manger to deliver us from our bondage to the enemy. God was born in a manger so that he could lead us into a spiritual inheritance that we did not earn nor deserve. And though he has won the battle, he gives you the choice today. To choose whom we will serve. To choose who will have our heart's affection. And know this today, Christ will never impose himself onto your heart. He will never coerce you to choose him over another. But what he does do and what he will do and what he is doing today is he stands at the door of our hearts. And he knocks. And he knocks. Revelations three nineteen to 22 those whom I love, these are the words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, who, he who can perceive, she who can pay attention to what is being said, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone here today is paying attention, if anyone here today has ears to hear, if anyone would simply let him in today to go and eat with him, to commune with him, to be with him, you too will sit on his throne as conquerors. And so that first Christmas, that Christmas that we are celebrating, that we are observing, God in the manger was a, the beginning of a battle over the cosmic power of sin and death. And we know and we celebrate it today because we know how the story ends. We know who wins the battle. Spoiler alert, it's not Satan, it's God. Jesus is victorious in his death and his resurrection. He reigns, he's victorious, he sits on the throne. And so now this Christmas, this Christmas is not a battle over the power of sin and death. This Christmas, God in the manger is a battle over our hearts. It is a battle over our worship. It is a battle over whom this day we will serve. And so the appropriate response to the Christmas story is that we behold God as Savior and Lord. The, 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 the victory of God this Christmas season is that we might 
push aside distractions, that we might not be overwhelmed by whatever it is that we face, that we may not fear not whatever variant or whatever this or that is in our face this Christmas season. The appropriate response to Jesus on the throne today is to behold his glory, to behold his beauty, to behold his victory today. So I ask you today in closing, how is God calling you today to behold him? And notice that, I want you to notice in the Christmas story, it's not the same for every person. That God contextualizes to each one of us, what does it mean to behold him? For the shepherds, to behold God meant obedience. The angels brought that news that there was a child born in the city of Bethlehem, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And what did they do? They dropped everything. They dropped it all, and they headed straight to Bethlehem. It says that they came in haste, meaning they did exactly what they were told to do, and they did not hesitate a moment. For Mary, beholding God was to quietly reflect on the goodness of God. What did she say? It says that she pondered everything in her heart. She beheld God by pondering these things, and she glorified God in song, my Lord is magnificent. Who, who am I that God would look upon me in my humble estate? For Joseph, beholding God meant to sacrifice and surrender. Because when the angel said to him, behold, <laughs> your, your, your betrothed is with child. Uh-oh. And that child is from God. He had a choice. He could quietly divorce Mary, and he would be well within his rights. In fact, he'd be well within his God-given rights, according to the law, to quietly divorce her. He didn't want to shame her publicly, but he, he was faced with a dilemma. Like, my, the rest of my life is ahead of me. My family, honor, a culture of honor, patriarchal culture. I could leave her. She could go her way. God will do great things, and I could have a great and wonderful life. But he offered himself to God as a living sacrifice by choosing to take Mary as his wife. We don't know much about Joseph other than this one act of sacrifice and surrender. How will you behold him this Christmas? Perhaps today it's a simple call just to spend more time with him with no purpose, no agenda. We have a list of needs that we can write a book about, but sometimes it's good just to close the book because God already knows everything that we need before we ask. God takes care of us. Look at how he takes care of the, the birds in the air and, and if he cares for them, provides for them, how much more will he provide for us? And so we just put an alarm on our phone and we just name it spending time with Jesus and we pray like David prayed one thing I've asked of the Lord that which I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to behold his beauty perhaps this Christmas beholding God is a, a battle cry over the idols in your heart Maybe you've beheld others and, and other things or other people as more important to you than God. And there's a choosing that needs to take place in your heart in order to properly behold God as he deserves. For what we behold takes hold of our hearts. And so the cry of our heart is this, God, I want you to take complete control of my heart. I want you to have full authority so that I, and that have, that I may have no other God before you. And here's the good news. 
God does not delight in sacrifice or else we'd bring it, nor does he take pleasure in any burnt offering. What delights his heart is beholding him above all else. And other than Easter, I can't think of a better time for us just to gaze upon his beauty, to pay attention to who he is and what he is doing. And a heart be held by us today, he will not despise nor reject, but he will wholly and unconditionally accept. So let's behold him this Christmas. Let's behold him. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. And we're going to pray a prayer. And usually what I do at this time is I pray, but I want to invite you to pray. And do. And we're going to pray a prayer of response. And so up on the screen, there's going to be a portion of the prayer that I want to read. And then I want to just invite you by responding back to me with the words written beside the word response. Here's our prayer. Father God, we pray this prayer of beholding for no other purpose than to enjoy you, know you, and be with you. Like David prayed, the one thing we ask and seek is to dwell in your house and behold your beauty. We behold that made in your image, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We behold the beauty of your creation, though your greatness is beyond our description. Just as the heavens declare your glory and the skies declare your handiwork, we behold all that you have made and in our hearts agree with you that it is very good. Let us behold God our creator. We behold your beauty in our salvation, knowing that we were brought forth in iniquity and in our sin did our mothers conceive us. But you heard the cry of your people leaving your throne to wake as a child. As we repent of our sinful ways, we behold the good news of great joy that a child has been born and his name shall be called Emmanuel. We behold that God with us is also God for us, beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. We behold you at the door of our hearts, knocking and waiting in love, knowing that if anyone may open the door, they are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Let us behold God, our Savior. We behold the beauty of your provision and protection, knowing that as your children, we are of infinite more value than the birds in the air that are cared for without any sowing or reaping. We behold your glory with unveiled faces, knowing that day by day, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of your Son. We behold the love of our Father that is so freely lavished upon us, knowing that just like your Son, Jesus, we are now called children of God, and so we are. Let us behold God, our loving Father. We behold the beauty of the resurrection and see the place where they laid the crucified Christ. Yet we do not behold you in the grave, for you are not there. You have risen. And we behold you today at the right hand of the Father, victorious over sin and death. Seated on the throne, we behold you as our righteous king who is making all things new. We behold your desire to dwell with your people and behold with watchful eyes the day of your return that is drawing nearer and nearer with each passing day. May we behold your return not with passivity, but by partnership, but by partnering with your spirit to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us behold our soon coming King. We ask that you open our eyes that we may behold your beauty. Open our ears 
that we may behold the guiding voice of your spirits. Open our hearts that we might lead others to also behold you as their Father, Savior, and King. We behold you as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Let us sing one more time today before we close.